and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, we will be looking at El Shaddai. When, Mary, when Anna Mary Robertson Moses died in 1961, she was 101 years old. President John F. Kennedy released a statement praising her paintings for inspiring a nation, noting all Americans mourn her loss. Governor of New York, Nelson Rockefeller, had declared on her 101st birthday that there was no more renowned artist in our entire country, is what he said. President Harry S. Truman once played the piano just for her. Who was this woman who captivated U.S. presidents and art audiences at home and abroad? Anna Mary Robertson Moses was better known to the world as Grandma Moses. Now, a woman who didn't begin to paint until she was 76 years old. 76. And then her hands had become too crippled by arthritis to hold an embroidery needle, which she was in the habit of doing. She found herself unable to sit around and do nothing. And so after a long life spent working on farms and everything, she picked up a paintbrush. Grandma Moses never had never had any formal art training. Indeed, she had very little formal education at all. But she painted every day, turning out more than a thousand paintings in 25 years. When an art collector passed through her town and saw the painting selling for a few dollars in a drugstore, he bought them all and arranged for them to be shown at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Even with, even with her newfound fame, her topics remained the same, nostalgic, colorful scenes of farm life, such as the first snow or a maple sugaring, that doesn't mean that Grandma Moses' audience was limited, however. By the time of her death, she had painted, her paintings hung in museums as far away as Vienna and Paris. In 2006, Grandma Moses painted Sugaring Off. It was put up for auction at Christie's in New York. It was painted in 1943 and it sold for a whopping $1.36 million. At a recent pastor's retreat, I, I heard this encouragement from the man speaking to the room full of pastors, many of whom were in their 60s and beyond. Many pastors have reported, this is what he said, many pastors have reported that their most productive years as a pastor was in their 60s and 70s. And so hang in there, he said. Your best years are still to come. That's my paraphrase. I didn't write it down or anything, but that's what I remember him saying. Grandma Moses' life is inspiring. This Sunday, we look at another old person. <laughs> another old person. He's 99 when God comes to him this time. I mean, first, I mean... His life continues to be inspiring. His, his name is Abraham. 
We don't, we don't meet him in the Bible until he's 75 years old. That's when we meet Abram. God gave him a new name when he was 99 and revealed himself to him in a brand new way as El Shaddai. Now, I want you to know that last Sunday we talked about El Roy, and that was when God revealed himself to Hagar. She had run away from her, her master, uh, Sarai. Uh, Sarai was, was giving her a hard time, and it was very difficult to work for her. And she ran away. I think her intention was to, to run to Egypt. And God met her there. Now, between that chapter, which is chapter 16 in our Bibles, and chapter 17 in our Bibles, there's 10 to 15 years have already passed. 10 to 15 years. And why is that important? And why do I mention that? It's because between the verses in the Bible and between the chapters in the Bible, lots of times there's big stretches of time. There's, there's a time when we're just waiting for God. We're just waiting. And we don't know what happened in, during that time, but they were waiting. And so you and I, sometimes we are going to wait for a long time. I remember a lady that would bring her husband and pray for her husband. We, she didn't bring him physically because he wouldn't come to church. He had been a believer and had walked away. And see, every Wednesday for prayer meeting, she would come and she would bring his name, pray for my husband, pray for my husband. For years she would do this. Now, if it was written in the Bible, one verse would say that her husband had backslid, and the next verse would say, but... His wife prayed for him, and he was, and he recommitted his life to the Lord. And there would be no time in between there. As we would read it in our Bibles, there would be no time. It would, it, to us, it seemed like, wow, God answered that prayer really fast. No, it took years of her faithful bringing her request to the Lord. Sometimes we have to wait. And so Abraham is waiting. Because God promised that through him, all the world would be blessed. My outline is that as follows, the power of the name, the places of the name, and in the presence of the name. And I want to read, um, first of all, I want to read the first two verses of chapter 17. So the first two verses go like this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, that's El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make a covenant between me and you and will multiply your, you exceedingly. Okay, just those two verses for now. If, you've, if, if you uh, have any Scottish heritage at all, I have a little bit, one quarter, um, you might know that the meaning of the name Douglas. Okay, the meaning of the name Douglas. And um, it, it is from the Gaelic Douglas. Doug, Doug. And I was one time, I was preaching in Bible school and an, and an Irish guy was going to Bible school with us and he introduced me as Doug. Doug. Oh, come on. Doug Ungle is going to preach for us. And it was just hilarious. I just, I just, this man, he doesn't know how to say my name. But 
in reality, he, he was probably more correct than I was because that's the original of the name, right? And so uh, the name means dark water, dark stream, or from the dark river. During the wars of Scottish independence, there, there was a, the, the name Douglas was very powerful. It was a powerful name. And why was it so powerful? The reason being was that there was a Scottish knight by the name of Sir James Douglas, Lord of the Clan Douglas, and champion of Robert the Bruce. The English knew him as the Black Douglas, and they feared him. Strategic and bold he was. He could humble a larger army with his cunning and courage. For example, in 1314, February, the Black Douglas was determined to capture Roxborough Castle on the, in the borders. He ordered his men to cloak themselves with cow skins. Okay, and so they, this was at nighttime, and so they, you know, they skinned all these cows, and so they they pretended to be cows, and they so they were they were just sneaking up to the castle at night, and and the guards were completely fooled. They looked out and say, "Oh, look at the cows in the pasture." No, it was it was the Black Douglas and his men coming up, rushing. Yeah, rushing. I'm just meandering towards the castle to storm it. <laughs> Can you imagine? And they took the castle. The guards were completely caught off guard. The English had a little rhyme to keep their kids in line at bedtime. Hush ye, hush ye, little pet ye. Hush ye, hush ye, do not fret ye. The black Douglas shall not get thee. Now, if they were misbehaving, they would remind them that the Black Douglas might be outside. I mean, he was, the name had power. The name had power. Now, it now in the 1300s, now, it lasted for a few decades, this name of power, right? It lasted for a few decades, and then the power was gone. Douglas, Mr. Douglas, James Douglas, Sir James Douglas died. And the power is no more. It was just a memory of a person who was and who lived and who died. 2,100 years before Jesus was born, God appeared to an old man and he revealed himself with a new name. It's like he's introducing himself to Abram again. Hey, Abram, remember me? I'm the one who spoke to you in Haran 24 years ago. I said, pick up your stuff. I'm going to show you a place you've never been to, and it's going to be yours. Remember me? I'm the one who made the covenant with you. I'm the one who promised you land, resources, and people. I'm the one who promised you an heir. And my name is El Shaddai. This is the first mention of the name Shaddai. In revealing himself to Abram, I see a number of truths. Number one, God has a name. Now, we've talked about this before. The names of God reveal something about him, something about his character. God doesn't introduce himself as El Shaddai by accident. We, know, uh, we need to know God's names. This name is a combination of two names, El, which is short for Elohim, 
is a generic name for God, uh, God the, our, our creator God, we might say, uh, which is combined with Shaddai, which is almighty. And, and we're going to look at that because it means so much more than almighty, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But just for now, the name Shaddai means mighty. And so number two, God desires relationship. Number one was God has a name. Number two, God desires a relationship with us. And because he says, walk before me. He's talking to Abram as he's saying that, walk before me. And in other words, God wants to relate to us. It's amazing to me that Almighty God wants to relate to that which he's created. Psalm 8, the Psalm of David, starts out, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your hand, fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Like, like we're so insignificant, and yet you want to relate to us. David is overwhelmed. And so God has a name. God desires relationship. And then number three, God desires obedience. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Uh, the King James uh, Version uses the word perfect. Anyone here perfect? No? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in any way. Nobody sings that song regularly. No? Uh, when, you look up at the he when you look up the Hebrew word here, the meaning has the sense of being genuine. And, and so it's like, be real. Be genuine. Uh, having integrity. Are you true to your word? This is what God desires even before he gave Moses the law. He wants us to be genuine. He wants us to be real. And then number four, God will do the work. I will make my covenant between me and you. Our job is to be faithful. Walk with God in, in, with integrity, be genuine. As we learned last Sunday, according to chapter 15 of Genesis, God and Abram took part in an agreement where, and if this was in modern times, God signed the agreement, but Abram didn't sign it. It was completely up to God to keep the, the covenant, to, to make it work. And even if Abram had failed, which he did, God was still faithful. And so it's God that will do the work. God promises Abram it was, wasn't depending on Abram's ability to keep the details, but on God's grace, God's promise, and God's faithfulness alone. Isn't that absolutely amazing? That God wants to relate to us? That God desires obedience, but we need help. We, we really can't do it. Well, the places of the name. You might be interested to know that the name El Shaddai is used only seven times in the Bible as the full El Shaddai. That is El, again, short for Elohim, the generic name for God, and then, and then Shaddai, which is Almighty, and we're going to kind of flesh that out a little bit. It's only used seven, seven times in the Bible, and the shortened version, or just Shaddai, is used some 48 times. Now, I want... <clears throat> I, I want you want to look at a, a couple of places that Shaddai is used so that we'll begin to see a picture of the nation, the nature of God. 
Okay, and the first one is Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Now, the, the story of Ruth is an interesting one. She has is, she is moved out of um, Israel with her husband, out of, out of the land, and she's in the land of Moab. And so she's a, an alien there or a, a refugee. Um, she's an immigrant, you might say. And so she's, she's moved to Moab. Now, it, her husband dies, and then um, her son dies, and, or, or, and then her other son dies. And she's left alone with just two daughter-in-laws. And this is her response. And she, that is Naomi, said to them, that is Ruth and Oprah, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty, that is Shaddai, the Almighty has dealt with very bitterly with me. I went out full, but Jehovah has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since Jehovah has witnessed against me and the Almighty, that again is Shaddai, has afflicted me. And so that's a really interesting choice of words for Naomi. I want to add another aspect to the meaning of Shaddai here. I have said that Shaddai means Almighty, and that's not necessarily wrong. The challenge in any translation is getting the sense of the word right. Some languages are just less of less expressive than others. For example, there are eight different Greek words for English word love. Well, there's more than eight probably, but there's eight primary words in the Greek. Now, if I say I love you in English, you might not know if it's brotherly love, romantic love, agape love, erotic love. What kind of love is this? The list goes on, right? And the Greeks had different words for, for love so that you knew exactly what kind of love more defined. And so when translating Shaddai as Almighty, we may have missed something important. We may have missed some of the some of the meaning of it. Schofield explains it this way. El Shaddai is the name of God which sets him forth primarily as the strengthener and satisfier of his people. It is to be regretted that Shaddai was translated Almighty. He thinks it's a re regrettable that it was translated this way. The primary name, El, or Elohim, sufficiently signifies all almightiness all by itself. Right? And so he says all sufficient would far better express the characteristic use of the name in Scripture. So in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Shaddai is translated in both verses in the Septuagint, that is, remember, the Septuagint is the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay, that's, and, and then we, we sometimes use the Septuagint to translate into English. Right now, in the Septuagint, which was 200 years before Christ, um, but this is... Uh, this word is translated by the Greek phrase hohekanos. I, I doubt if I'm saying that right. Which could be read in the English as the sufficient one. The sufficient one. The Greek word 
Let's just call it Hekonos. Okay, Hekonos. Uh, means sizable, considerable, com competent, ample, adequate, enough, large enough, or sufficient. That's what that word means, and that's how it was translated, and so that's who God is. God then is sizable, considerable, competent, ample, adequate, enough, large enough, or sufficient. That's who God is. That's what Shaddai is. And so with this insight, my translation as to the fuller meaning of El Shaddai would mean, would mean the almighty sufficient one. The almighty sufficient one. In this case, uh, Ruth chapter 1, Naomi is in grief, having lost her husband and two sons. She was feeling that the one who was sufficient to meet all of her needs has let her down. The sufficient one was insufficient. Interesting choice of words. Calling God Shaddai. And then in Job chapter 37, uh, verses 23, and then Job chapter 40 and verses 2 to 4. Actually, Shaddai, um, the most places in the Bible, it's used in Job. Some 30 times. And by and now Job was a righteous man. God had blessed him, but with Satan's permission, this he was tried, he was tested. All of his blessings were taken away. His livestock, all gone. His servants, they were all killed. His ten children, all dead. He had nothing left. Nothing left except for his wife. Satan left his wife. And his wife said, oh, oh yeah, and then his health got worse. Then, then his health failed him. And so that was taken from him as well. And then his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? That's really encouraging, isn't it? Right? And so th there's a reason Satan left his wife. But they were there with him. He had three friends that came with him to console him to comfort him, and to sit with him in his grief and in his anguish. Three friends that came. Now it's Elihu that speaks up in Job chapter 37, and he says, as for the Almighty, that is Shaddai, we can't find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment, and abundant in justice. He does not oppress, therefore men fear him, but with, no, notice he's got a pretty good idea of who God is, but it's not a complete idea of who God is. His problem is that he believes that God is beyond any human interaction, that God is so far above and so far away that we can't really know him for sure. And, and he's saying God is bigger than we can understand. We can't really know him personally. In the next verses, that is Job 40. Two to four, God gives his counsel. Job has heard the wisdom of his three friends, and now he hears from the one more friend who is sitting with him, the Lord Almighty. It was God himself. And this is what God says to him. Shall the one who contends with the Almighty, that is Shaddai, correct him? Are you going to correct God? That's what... That's what God asks Job. He who rebukes God, let him answer it. 
he's really speaking to Job really quite forcefully. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. He would not answer anymore. He, he was finished. Job has said all that he's going to say. At the beginning of his sorrow, he said this, My grief is heavy, for the arrows of the Almighty that Shaddai are within me. Their poison, they, they, they poison my spirit drinks. The terrors of God are arrayed against, are arrayed against me. That's Job 6.4. At this point in his painful loss, he wonders why God just doesn't have a heart and let him die. He wants God to let him die. Through all of this terrible and painful sorrow, Job never doubts God's goodness, though. Not really. I mean, he goes through the process of grief like we all would in, in our in any loss. Job never doubts the goodness of God that the one who is sizable, considerable, competent, ample, adequate, enough, large enough, or sufficient would take care of him. Job, Job's faith was gigantic. These are the words of a true believer in Job uh, chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job believed in the resurrection. He believed in, in God coming and visiting earth in person and standing. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Third thing I want to talk about is in the presence of the name. Now and read the rest of Genesis, Genesis chapter 17, 3 to 8. The rest of my text is uh, verses 3 to 8. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And your descendants after you. In their generations. For an everlasting covenant. To be God to you. And to your descendants after you. Also. I give to you and your descendants after you. The land in which you are a stranger all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Now, there's a whole pile of stuff in there. We can't look at it all. But, um, but the first thing, you notice that what Abraham did with his new name, he fell on his face. I mean, his, his response, what prompted Abraham to do that? Well, Almighty God, not God as portrayed by Hollywood, suddenly he shows up and speaks to you and, and, and to pour kindness and grace on you. How would you respond if God showed up like that? Wouldn't you bow down? Wouldn't you be humbled? 
As a matter of fact, Abraham had just been imperfect in trying to help God out. And again, helping God out never works out very well. Not if you're doing it on, in your own strength. Abraham responds how Isaiah responded. Woe is me, for I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's Isaiah chapter 6. So Abraham bowed down the traditional Eastern way. And how they bow down, and you've seen pictures perhaps on the news when Muslims pray. That's how Abraham bowed down. He bowed down, down on his knees and down onto his, onto his elbows and his forehead touched the ground. It's as low as he could possibly get. He bowed down to worship. That was the Eastern way. And so all, he worshipped Almighty God out of admiration and respect. Now let's see how the Almighty Sufficient One reveals himself again. Actually, uh, actions really do confirm a claim, don't they? Actions. If you, um, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? And so the actions of keeping what Jesus said shows that you actually do love him. And so to just to say, I love you, it needs to be demonstrated, right? And if someone, um, uh, actually James reminds us the same thing. What is a prophet, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but doesn't have any works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit? Thus, he says, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Again, your actions will confirm your claim to have faith. A real faith works. So, in the name of El Shaddai, God is claiming to be sizable, considerable, competent, ample, adequate, enough, large enough, and sufficient. Well, Abraham find this God to be as follows in a strange land. Will Abraham find this to be true? Will he find that the Almighty Sufficient One is backing up his name with action? The answer is yes, in a number of ways. Number one, God reminds Abraham of his position of privilege. My covenant is with you. Of all the people in the world, God chose Abraham. God chose Abraham. He says that is, that is a, 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 a position of privilege. Number two, God gives Abraham or Abram a new name proclaiming a promise. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. From exalted father to father of a multitude. And so God again promised that Abraham would have a very fruitful descendants. And then number three, God opens Abraham's eyes predicting plenty of posterity. How do you like that? Predicting, predicting plenty of posterity. 
I thought of that all by myself. Okay. Many nations, many kings will come from Abraham's descendants. Now, this is really interesting. Tracing ancestry has uh, through DNA and, and Y markers in your chromosomes is big business these days. A lot of people spit in a bag and send it out, and, uh, and then they find out who their ancestors are. I think that, that it's, it's an interesting business. Now, it's interesting because according to simpletoremember.com, besides the Jews, okay, listen to this. Besides the Jews, there are other populations that share the Abrahamic genetic signature. Okay, and this is what God promised, right? That there would be nations and kings from Abraham, right? Lots. And these are, uh, and this is from the Y markers, and these include Lebanese, Syrians, Druze, Iraqi Kurds, and southern and central Italians and Hungarians. It is also found among some Armenians. Of course, we know that the Muslims also rever uh, Abraham as their father through Ishmael. Don't forget about Christianity. Abraham is also our father, well, spiritually speaking. All of this from Abraham. And so God opens Abraham's eyes to predicting plenty of posterity. Abraham just grew and grew, and his descendants just grew and grew. Now, then number four, God reserves a specific geographic provision for the children of promise. A geographic provision. Now, this wasn't just any piece of land. We all, knew, we, we all know too well what's going on in Israel right now. They're fighting over the land of Israel. The Palestinians saying the Jews stole it, and the Jews say, no, God gave it to us. Right? This is our land. We've had it a very long time. Right? And so there's this fight going on in, in Israel. And, and by the way, why do they call it Palestine? Do you know why they call it Palestine? They, the, the Palestinians won't call it the land of Israel. They won't call it that. This is, it's Palestine. What is that? What does it mean? Where did it come from? Where did the name Palestine come from? It literally means land of the Philistines. The Philistines. You know, Goliath, he was a Philistine. You know, the Israelites have been fighting the Philistines for a very long time, and they're still fighting. They're still fighting. That battle has been going on for absolutely centuries and so it's really interesting much of the world and especially the muslim world don't acknowledge israel's claim to the land of israel the fact is god gave it to abraham and more specifically to abraham's descendants through isaac and the children of israel as an everlasting possession everlasting it was going to be theirs forever and so you, you see all of these Palestinian marches, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine, all of those things that are going on. I'm not saying that what Israel is doing is 100% right. But I'll tell you what, they're fighting for their land. It's theirs. God gave it to them. 
for an everlasting possession. And it will not be taken away. It just won't. And so, there's pray for the peace of Israel. There's only one way that there's going to be peace in Israel, and that's when Messiah comes back. But pray that he would come back soon. So in short, when you use the name El Shaddai, you are proclaiming that you will trust and serve the God who will pour out his grace on you, giving you a, a, a position, a privilege, giving you a new name. You have a place and a future and an eternal destiny. I will be their God. That's what El Shaddai said to Abraham. I will be their God. Are we children of Abraham? Spiritually speaking, yes. El Shaddai wants to be our God. Would you let him? Now, we've heard Psalm 91 in prayer meeting. We've heard not Psalm 91 at the beginning of the service, and I want to end with Psalm 91 because it's perfect. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's Shaddai. That's the name of God right there, Shaddai. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And I'm skipping to the end, the last two verses. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Okay. That last word, that last line, satisfy him and show him my salvation, that is Shaddai. Right there. He's the one that satisfies. Shaddai. Our satisfier. Are you satisfied in him? Or are you looking for more? Something else. Shaddai. Al Shaddai. The almighty God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. And we worship you. And and Father, you, uh, what we see in this is that you use old people. Abraham was 99 years old when you revealed that your name was Al Shaddai. And then you blessed him and he was fruitful. Just like Grandma Moses, when she was 76, you blessed her and she was fruitful. And just like you and I, just all of us here, Father, you desire, Shaddai, you desire to bless us and make us fruitful. And you desire to satisfy us with just who you are. So do your work by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be satisfied in you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.